Hello and welcome to Background Screening Tips and Tech. I'm your host, Tim Santoni, and today we have a very special guest, Ashi Aurora, uh, joins us. Thank you so much, Ashi, for joining the show. We appreciate you coming on and taking some time to, to share some thoughts and ideas with our listeners. Thanks, Tim, for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. So Ashi's got a laundry list of certifications from coaching to mediation. She's worked in the, the public sector, the private sector. She works with a lot of different folks. So I'll let her introduce herself. Best way to connect with Ashi is on LinkedIn. Uh, the name of her company is iRise Executive Coaching. So Ashi, take it away. Thanks, Tim. Hi, everyone. I'm Ashi Aurora, iRise Executive Coaching, where we coach professionals to rise in leadership. So a little bit about my background, as Tim mentioned, I worked for many, many years in healthcare, public sector, as well as in higher education. So most notably for the University of California system. So I have had leadership roles in a variety of different areas, and I really understand business dynamics and understand what different people go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, I really enjoy working with teams and helping teams understand their strengths. So we'll get into a little bit of more information about that. But my philosophy, my coaching philosophy is really helping people understand what their strengths are and leveraging those strengths to set up development plans and goals. Because the way I look at it is we often all know our weaknesses, but we don't spend enough time really understanding what we're naturally good at. And we could spend a lot less hours leveraging those strengths, working towards what we're really good at to get us to where we want to go. And Ashley, that's a great point. So I think that a lot of times in businesses, there's a focus on strengthening, turning our weaknesses into strengths as opposed to finding the strengths that would guide people in the right direction. So from a a behavioral psychological perspective, why is it that that's the trend? Why is it that we were like, oh, these, these are the areas we're weak in or we need to improve in? Why, does, why do our brains go there? Why do businesses go that direction first? Yeah, so I think it's, it's a lot vested in neuroscience as well as just evolution. When thousands of years ago, cavemen, whatever you want to call it, we were taught to survive. Our mindset was created for survival purposes. So in order to survive, we had to sit in that negative mindset of constantly thinking of and anticipating what challenges or what dangers were going to come at us. And so always thinking about the worst case scenario and always thinking about what's wrong and how do we fix it. And so I think that kind of mindset has translated into us as as human beings, but also in terms of the way we grow up. So as children, um, our, our mindset is created to protect us. And the problem is that as we go into adulthood, we continue to keep wrapped up in that kind of negative frame of mind. And that's what that's our go to. And when we also look at a lot of different assessment tools, for example, um, they often also tell us like these are, you know, the person's weaknesses. So, so I'll say a lot of different things about someone. And then there's a plethora of weaknesses. I just feel that too many people draw on those weaknesses and don't look at all the other great things about them. So what I have found with individuals and teams that I work with, that when I present an assessment tool that really helps them highlight their strengths, they um, they can connect much better with that, but it does. It takes time. It takes time to shift out of that negative mindset to a little bit more of a positive mindset and bring your teams there as well. That's a great point. And I think if we go back to the caveman idea, right? If we weren't in that mindset, it was life or death, right? If you weren't yeah, looking out for absolutely. threats, you would die. You had no choice. So if you adapt that today's world, the threats are not so 
critical, but yet we kind of treat them in the same regard. You bring up the issue of, of looking for strengths, and I know that you are certified with Gallup as uh, doing the strengths assessment. So talk a little bit about why that's important in organizations and how you found it useful in, in bringing out those strengths that you know, you're know you focused on. So yeah, just a little bit about Gallup. So I am a Gallup certified strengths coach for full disclosure, but really Gallup is a leader in workplace dynamics. They have millions and millions of data points. And if you look at the term employee engagement, it was actually coined by Gallup. So they were the first leaders in identifying that people who are more engaged in the workplace produce more and productivity leads to profitability for businesses. So backing that up a bit, what Gallup believes is when you create strengths-based work cultures, People are more engaged, and the more engaged they are, the more productive and the more profitable for everyone. And their strengths assessment that is decades old, Don Clifton is considered the father of strength psychology. He is also the original owner of Gallup. He has, um, they've identified this assessment tool that has been taken by 25 million people worldwide. So it's the only one of its kind that hasn't changed over the years and has all these different data points. And so when I work with individuals and teams, I like to bring in the strengths assessment tool because it creates a common language and it's easy to remember. It's, it's not like certain other assessment tools where you have all these like funky terms or numbers or letters. I know you know what I'm talking about. They may have a place for what they do, but with the strengths assessment, it's terms that people can understand. So for example, Tim, my number one strength is what's called an arranger. An arranger is someone who's, who's a planner, who's organized, who makes plans for other people. And it makes sense in my business that I would be doing that for others as well. And so it's a term that people can identify with, and it's not so foreign, like some a descriptor that you wouldn't understand. Gotcha. So a lot of our listeners are in the background screening space and a background screen or background check is a tool to mitigate risk and prevent the, the issue of a bad hire, right? And mitigating that yeah. exposure and turnover. However, when someone gets in the organization, the role of a coach or someone in your position is obviously to enhance the strengths and make the, the organization be more productive, more profitable. Um, and, and using those tools, like we talked about is super, super important. Um, when it comes to coaching, I always like to ask this question, right? So I, I think that it, it's a misused term because people don't understand that, but it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts to say, Hey, I need help. So when someone comes to you, like what, how is it that you create that safe space? So someone feels comfortable reaching out and saying, Hey, Ashi, I'm not really good on the people side of confrontation or I'm on, you know, having trouble with management, right? Cause it's, it could jeopardize their job. It could jeopardize their status and it could lead to lack of trust and maybe reliability with an organization. So how, does, how do you see that play out? What are the most, you know, situations where someone may reach out to you and how do you go about and keeping them feel comfortable while you're helping them through the process? Yeah, absolutely. So I start off with really trying to understand why they think whatever you're, what you just mentioned is a problem for them. So like, let's, for example, Someone, you know, is a leader and they have a very dominant type of leadership style, which probably maybe at one point in time served them really well. They needed to be a little more aggressive. They needed to be super assertive. And then now suddenly over the last year, for example, we're in this virtual world and they're having a hard time connecting virtually. And that dominant, aggressive, assertive style is not working for them anymore. And so they're trying to figure out like, okay, why isn't it working? And 
we're having a conversation and they're talking to me about it. And like, so what's not, what's not working for you is, is my question. It's not from a place of judgment where I'm judging whether that's the right style or not for the organization. It's more, how is it impeding their progress? So we get into that kind of conversation of trying to understand that. The process of that helps to helps to all create that safe space, but also helps the individual reflect on what is it that they really need? Do they really want to change their style or can they do some kind of tweaks here and there to engage better with their staff virtually? Because it's a new format, it's a new day. And so it's it's more change management. So it's really understanding like, okay, what do you love about your style and what are you willing to give up to get you to where you want to go? Got it. And so much as it, how is that getting in the way and is it really getting in the way at all? So that's, are you attacking the real problem, right? Cause it may not be the real problem. Exactly. That too. Like having a series of questions, trying to, trying to go deep. What we do in coaching often are those open-ended what and how questions. So I often tell leaders, try to take the why out of your questions and start your questions with what or how statements. And that becomes a little less confrontational, a little less judgmental, and it's more about curiosity, building curiosity. You're curious as to what the challenges are that the person is faced with. Got it. And you hit on something there, Ashi, that I wanted to kind of circle back to, which is this idea that, you know, on a prior uh, podcast, I was interviewing someone in the recruiting and staffing space, and they said 75% of jobs in business are admin-related, you know, non-manufacturing, non-industrial, are now remote, right? So how has... How has that changed the emphasis or the challenges that leaders and people that you're working with are dealing with? You hit on the virtual stuff, but how, how have you seen that most dramatically impacting, you know, you know, workplaces? Yeah, absolutely. I think for one, not everyone's comfortable with camera, right? So even though it's virtual, it's like, oh, I can see myself now. Before when I was in person, I couldn't really see the way I was looking. And now, now I can see that. So that takes a little bit of getting used to. I've seen a lot of organizations also pivot, especially in healthcare, um, where they weren't used to putting the camera on. And now it, it's so, I often tell leaders, put the cameras on and try to encourage everyone to put the cameras on. You'd be surprised, Tim, how many companies don't turn the camera on on Zoom. Like they just, they're just trying to do this audio. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you were in person, you'd want to see the beer, the body language. You'd want to mirror what the other person is doing and saying and understand that. So I think for communication, number one tip is make sure the cameras are on. The second thing is it's going to require more touch points, right? So you're not having conversations at the water cooler. You're not just seeing someone down the hall. You're going to have to make a little more effort with trying to ping someone virtually and actually not have it all about business. Like, how are you doing? How was your weekend? Did you catch the basketball game? You know, whatever, whatever type of conversation you're used to having, like around the water cooler, it's, it's a little bit, it, it feels funny, but you kind of have to do a little bit more virtually to keep your teams engaged and keep those conversations going. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's not so natural because you're used to engaging in touch points via messaging or on the phone or video call, talk about business things and you're leaving out the personal stuff that is, you know, allows people to connect. And I always say, you know, what's interesting is that the other part about it, the virtual is that it's, you always need to be on, right? It used to be, well, I'm going to a meeting, so I need to be ready and dressed up and prepared. Now at any moment you could be on camera, which is good and bad. It's good in the sense that I can connect with you over a camera and I could see where you live, where you work, your kids, like you get to see a deeper dive into someone's real world, but that's also 
poses risks and insecurities for people because now well, maybe I'm not dressed, my hair's not done, my, you know, my room's not clean, right? I'm not prepared for that. Um, but at the same time, you get to learn a little bit more about people's home life because you're in their home as you're talking to them on a daily basis if that camera's on. So that's a great, great point. Yeah. Awesome. So um, we talked about it earlier. I think that if you want to connect with Ashi, iRise Executive Coach online, is uh, LinkedIn is the best way to connect with her. But before we let you go, Ashi, maybe, um, maybe one trend that you're seeing that with your clients and workplaces that is a positive thing that, that you're seeing change through this pandemic um, before we wrap things up. I think one of the positive things is people are talking more about really wanting to create work-life balance. I think when we when we look at different generations in the workforce, um, when the millennial generation came into the workforce, it really disruptive disrupted a lot of our thinking about um, you know hard work, a badge of honor being how many hours you were putting in, and the millennials are like, wait a minute, wait, a minute we want we want work-life balance. I'm seeing now other generations in the workforce talking more about that work-life balance because COVID forced them to slow down, kind of reconnect with themselves, with their families, with their friends, like whoever was really, what's, what are their core values? What's most important to them? And, and as things are starting to open up now, they're like, wait a minute, I I really want to still have a balanced lifestyle. So I think that's been a great positive. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that it's, it's forced people in a weird way to reconnect with things that are truly important and kind of see that through a different lens and see that it's possible to exist and do business and be effective and be efficient. Um, despite, you know, those, those beliefs that, Hey, I need to be working, you know, 20 hours a day and, you know, not working on the weekends and skipping all these important family activities. Yeah. And when you're more balanced, you're starting, you work smarter, not harder. Yep. Right. Because you're more efficient with the time that you are spending working because you're better rested. You've got a happier home life. You're exercising. Whatever it is you're doing to promote your own wellness is going to make you function better in your work. Yeah, I heard an interesting quote. Uh, Bruce Arians, the head coach of the of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl this year, he was saying that when he came on board, he made it a point that any of the coaches, one of the rules was they could not miss any of their kids school recital sports anything like that if you find out that they skip those he was going to fire them and the reason was is because when he was coming up they had to make up excuses and lie to go and see that and he says you'll never get those experiences back you could always make up a meeting uh, a practice whatever else but he's like don't miss out on that and coming from someone who's you know wise and been through it it's exactly your point like finding that balance and, and finding out what's important is is crucial um, and I know that there was two things that we talked about that you kind of wanted to promote before we go. So I'll let you talk about those, the, the workshops and the kind of the, the unconscious bias training. Give our listeners a, a few minutes of what those are all about and how they can uh, partake if, if they're interested. Yeah, thanks, Tim. So one thing I do is I come into teams and I do strengths workshops. So I individually give an assessment and do a one hour session with each member of the team. So let's say a team has 10 members. And then I bring them all together into a 90-minute or two-hour virtual workshop where it's it's super fun. Everyone gets to learn about each other's strengths. There's a lot of team-building activities, morale-building, whatever you want to call it. But it really starts to create the language around using people's strengths and not their weaknesses. And it ties really well into my second point about creating inclusive culture. Um, when we have diverse workforces and diversities from a lot of different factors, and we understand that strengths, uh, the different strengths in our diverse workforce, we create more inclusive work culture. 
And the second part of what I do is I work with uh, Matthew Cahill and the Precipio Company, and we bring in unconscious bias training to organizations, small and large, and help them really understand where their unconscious bias lies in order to start having those conversations about how to really create inclusive work cultures. Awesome. We'll link up uh, in the show notes, uh, provide links to all those different things and help you to connect with Ashi. Thanks again so much for coming on Background Screening Tips in Tech. Ashi, we really appreciate you spending time with us. Again, uh, stay tuned for future episodes. You can download the podcast wherever you find your podcast and hope you guys all have a successful week. Thank you. Thanks, Tim.